Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek on this lovely Wednesday. I'm Caroline Gonzalez, joined by John DeShazer. JD, how you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Sound a little soft, but I'm doing great. I don't sound soft at all. I'm in the office, and I am prevailing through this cold. Uh, yeah. Look, we're all day to day, so that just sounds like an excuse to me. But hey, no, I'm, I'm, I'm here. You weren't here yesterday. I was here. I came were in you, while were you I was here sick. Saturday? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> no, you right. were here Sunday. Were you here Sunday? No, okay, I was not that's here. What the, that's all I'm here. saying. That's all I'm saying. You know, I'm just saying. I came here. I came in when I was sick, and I think I deserve like some type of medal or something because you know it was hard, but I prevailed. Yeah, heavy medal. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, uh, JD, you and I did go to our uh, first LSU game this past weekend. Well, first as fans because you covered the team for a while uh, back during your time with the Times Picayune, uh, but it was my first LSU game and my. My first college football game in general because you know when I was in college I was playing on the weekends or busy or had better things to do and no offense to Tulane but I didn't really want to go at the time uh they weren't offense taken the best keep going uh but they're better now so that's great but I'm not in school now but we did go to our first college football game uh together against or LSU versus Georgia Southern we will not mention the outcome of that game because our producer uh Daniel Salerson did go to Georgia Southern but I had fun it was fun hey, I covered Georgia Southern and I'm a proud Former, well, not former, because once you're born in Georgia, you're always from Georgia. Mm. So, yes, I covered Georgia Southern, Statesboro, Georgia, uh, Hambone, as well as Raymond Gross. So, hey, they got what um, what they came for, which was the check. And that's what you come for when you're Georgia Southern. You get paid, you get out of town, you try not to get anybody hurt. Probably got some people a little bit hurt, <laughs> but... The check cleared, I'm sure. And that's the main thing. What was your thoughts on the whole tailgating situation? I mean, I thought it was insane. And I'm from Texas. You know, we've, we've had high school football games where they do the whole tailgate and adding TVs to trailers and stuff like that. But I still thought it was it was pretty crazy. Yeah, it was pretty extravagant. Um, a lot more than I expected. I've seen tailgates before, but hadn't intimately, like, walked into an actual tailgate tent and seen people uh, with the generators and the whole nine, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's pretty involved. Uh, a lot more involved than I probably would be if I was in charge of a tailgate. I can tell you right now, it'd be a lot of hot folks, and um, and they'd probably be away from my tailgate pretty quick because I don't know if I'd have a tent big enough for that amount of people. It'd be like a three-person tent maybe. Yeah, you had, like, fans at every corner. Uh, I mean, it was still hot. You know, don't get me wrong. We were all sweating, but – uh, you had fans, you had TVs, you had pretty much unlimited food, beer, alcohol, whatever you could ask for. Yeah. It was pretty much provided in every single I'd tailgate be, that you looked at. I'd be playing music off my phone, <laughs> and um, you know there'd probably be a lot of a lot of water. Your maybe friend I'd, singing "Kumbaya." You know, maybe I'd have I'd be running like a water hose from one of the buildings to my to my tent instead of <laughs> supplying water. So, no, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I don't know if I would make a a regular habit of it, right? Because it seems really really draining at the end of the day. Yeah. But it was fun to have to be able to say that I have seen and done that, and I can you know I won't say it was on my bucket list, but I can check it off of some list. Yeah, as you said, I don't think I could do it every weekend. It, it would be exhausting. And, of course, you have the away games, but some people go to those and tailgate at home for those. And I don't I don't think it, it would be anything that I could do every weekend. But it, the Tiger Stadium was definitely something that you have to be in to realize how hyped those fans get. Uh, they scored a touchdown every, like, five seconds. So you saw their touchdown traditions. So you had to bring that up. Huh? Yeah, I, I had to. I'm sorry, Daniel. Uh, you know, I, I don't like fans that leave at, you know, before the game's over. But but 
we we and had yet, to we had to we had to jd you know we okay. had to it was, was like to, i was about to say you can't say that and then say but i did it i mean it was late <laughs> you know i wasn't feeling well they were up by like 50 something points oh, you and it's so. not feeling well thing where is that small violin that i drug in here i don't know but you should go get it because i'd like to hear it i am yeah it's the smallest violin in the world jeez whiz anyway so uh whatever anyway so uh jd the saints do take on the texans uh upcoming on monday night football we will speak to booger mcfarland later this week uh but i wanted to talk to you first because we haven't had a chance to talk since the saints made their 53-man roster cuts uh you know a lot of news reports came out the saints did trade vince beagle for linebacker kiko alonzo from the miami dolphins uh some people made this roster that uh we weren't necessarily expecting to and some people got cut that we weren't necessarily expecting to namely Chris Banjo I don't think that was kind of on anyone's radar whether you were uh you or I in the building or outside of it I don't think that was on any anyone's radar well that tells you all you need to know we know nothing (laughs) um we watch practice and from the little bit of information we glean from practice we think we can you know pretty accurately predict a 53-man roster, but we don't see all the practices. Uh, we certainly don't get it, the film breakdown that the coaches get. And um, and then sometimes it's just a matter of necessity where a guy might be let go that you like, but you might need to be heavier at another position. So, you know, it, it tells you that, you know, sometimes you have a really good, good idea. You know, I had a feeling that the Breeze guy was going to make the 53. I was kind of shaky first. Who? The Breeze guy. Oh. And, you know, I was a little bit worried. I didn't know if I heard you right. <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit worried. I thought he was kind of might have been on the bubble for a while, but he pulled through. But for Not the a most, big team guy. Yeah, you know, he, you know <laughs> I, I just didn't know if he was going to make it. I was worried about it. But um, but a lot of times, I mean, you think you know. Uh, the famous words of Jim Moore, you think you know, but you don't and you never will. And uh, so from that standpoint, when it comes to the 53, I think I know 53. I never do, and I never will. And I'm not ashamed to say that I'm always going to miss on probably five or six of them because it's just you get to the end of that roster and you just don't have a good idea of who did what to be able to stick. I was a little bit – I will say this, and I said I just said we weren't going to talk about <laughs> the cuts. I was a little bit – I don't want to say surprised, uh, uh, but Austin Carr and Keith Kirk were yeah. at receiver because – you know, they hadn't played a lot in the preseason, and yet they were the guys who knew the offense as opposed to those younger guys, uh, Emmanuel Butler and little Jordan Humphrey. Uh, they showed some flashes, but I think there you've got to stick with the known commodities, and I think that's what the Saints did. Well, I think we talked about it uh, with Herbie. I believe it was last week. All my days are jumbled together, but – uh, you know, Austin Carr and Keith Kirkwood making this roster, as you said, because they're more established guys. Drew Brees has learned to trust them a little bit more. Uh, so it, it was, I don't want to say surprising, but, you know, everyone looked at that and said it was kind of a little taken aback. Well, we threw at the possibility. I mean, but that was like, you know, that's like hedging your bets on everything. You know, I mean, you can always say anybody is a possibility. And I don't think anybody knew concretely except that coaching staff. When they picked their guys, they knew exactly who it was they wanted to keep and why. Well, speaking of not knowing anything, uh, let's get into the Texans because not that they don't know anything, but they've had a lot of different uh, – they've had a lot of newness on their side with uh, Bill O'Brien as a head coach and interim GM or whatever you want to call them. There's titles swirling all over the place. But um, obviously they had they were in some big trades this weekend uh, in the preseason. Their star running back, Lamar Miller, did tear the ACL. Uh, they got running back Carlos Hyde from the Kansas City Chiefs. And then obviously the big trade with Jaday 
Jadavion Clowney, uh, sending him to the Seahawks and getting uh, two linebackers, and then obviously uh, Laramie Tunsil getting him from the Dolphins. So a lot going on on the uh, the Texans front. Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills, the and receiver. And Kenny Stills, excuse me. Um, yeah, they they did some things that a lot of people around the league look at and shake their heads and. You can see why, and yet, if it works, then everybody says, you know, hey, not not bad. Told you so. <laughs> um, but it, it looks a little unsettling, some of the moves they, they made. Um, Clowney, you know, he's the number one overall pick. He seemed to be coming into uh, one of those perennial Pro Bowl slash all-pro type players, and they weren't able to work out something with him long-term because I guess essentially they just didn't want to pay him the freight that it was going to take. And you you run a big risk when you do that. J.J. Watt's along that defensive line. Mm-hmm. And as good as J.J. Watt is, and J.J. Watt, pound for pound, might be the best defensive lineman in the league. Um, only guy really, and, I, and I'm not saying this because of proximity, the only guy I would really compare him to uh, as a defensive end is Cam Jordan because I think Aaron Donald as a defensive tackle or defensive lineman is like head and shoulders above everybody. Aaron Donald's mm-hmm. a freak. But a defensive end practices with knives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> defensive end Cam Jordan and JJ Watt to me are are kind of running neck and neck nowadays. But JJ Watt needs some help, and uh, Jadavian Clowney was the help that they drafted for him, and he was the help that you thought they were gonna pay because he was gonna be the guy after Watt maybe went on into the sunset. Uh, so to let him go to Seattle, so that means the Saints are gonna see him anyway. To let him go to Seattle uh, for a couple of linebackers who. I mean, I don't want to say a couple of dudes, but a couple of dudes. <laughs> it just uh, doesn't sit right. It didn't. It doesn't sound right. But again, if those couple of dudes come out and get a couple of sacks week one, everybody's gonna say, you know what? That's the smartest thing that's ever been done. So we'll see how it works out. Do you think JJ Watt's production is gonna go down because now the attention is not on him and Clowney and you know obviously everyone else? But JJ Watt had 16 sacks last last year, and a lot of the attention was diverted to Clowney. So do you think we're gonna see less production out of Watt because now all the attention is going to be on him? Well, I think it has to go down some. That that doesn't mean his impact goes down mm. that just means his numbers might dip because you're able to divert more attention to him but you know he'll still have the same impact because again you got to divert more attention to him now if those other guys can beat one-on-ones then you know he he will have actually done his job because he's setting up the rest of that defensive line to have some really good matchups one-on-one whether or not they can beat him, will, that remains to be seen. But, mm-hmm. you know, his production probably – his numbers probably will go down. But I think his production and his presence will obviously always be there. Let's talk about Laramie Tunsil and uh, Kenny Stills. But Bill O'Brien earlier in the week said that he felt really good about getting a proven left tackle to, to protect Deshaun Watson. The Texans um, – Offensive line gave up the most sacks last year and the most quarterback hits with 126 quarterback hits and 62 sacks. Um, do you trust that? I don't want to say Laramie Tunsil is going to be the saving grace for this Texans offensive line, but do you think they're starting to add pieces that are going to protect Deshaun Watson a little bit more, or do they still have a long way to go? Well, my first question is, could they be much worse? Mm. No. Yeah. <laughs> so Tunsil's got to be an upgrade uh, for what they want to do. Deshaun Watson, I think, might be he might be futuristic in terms of being a quarterback in the NFL, <laughs> of what he can do. 
but he can't be taking 62 sacks a year. He right. can't be getting hit 100 times. Nobody can hold up under that kind of a beating. So they had to do something to be able to protect that young man and make life a little bit easier for him. If that makes life easier for him and every week except week one, then that's fine. Um, but they had to do something, and they had to do something drastic because, again, he's your franchise player right now. Even though J.J. Watt is the, still the face of that franchise, but J.J. Watt's getting a little bit older in his years, and Deshaun Watson is the future of that franchise. You got to be able to protect him. You got to keep him upright. He's a franchise quarterback. He's going to be the next. Well, he won't be the next, but he's going to be one of those guys who's going to be in the, you know, hundred million dollar salary range and that kind of thing with the, you know, hundred million dollar signing bonus and that kind of thing. So you got to do something to keep that guy upright because he's got marvelous talents that we saw at Clemson and that we've seen so far in in the NFL. Even though he blew out the knee, he still looked really, really good. So bringing in Tunstall, if he's he didn't have to be, you know, Teron Armstead, but he's got to be able to protect that backside enough to where he can give, you know, Deshaun Watson a fighting chance. So correct me if I'm wrong, going into Monday night, Tunsil will have spent five practices with the with the Texans now, some somewhere in that range. Yeah, but I mean, you know, if, unless the unless the coaching style is drastic, right? You know, it's football. Yeah, it's football. I yeah. mean, you you know you 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 know how to pass set. If he knows how to pass set and run block, he'll be fine. Now, will he have the cohesion with that offensive line that you get going through an entire training camp? No, but I think he'll develop pretty quickly because he is a veteran, and if he's got some other veterans along that offensive line, especially at left guard, then they will quickly learn how to work in tandem. So I don't think it'll be that drastic again, as long as it's, you know, a, a discrepancy during week one, then they can get as good as they want to get you know, on down the line. But uh, hopefully he won't be very good in week one. And he's going to be going against Cam Jordan and or Marcus Davenport. He'll, Trey probably, he'll, get, he'll probably get more Marcus Davenport. He'll get some Trey Hendrickson, I'm sure. Sometimes the Saints might flip those defensive ends. And sometimes if they feel like there's an advantage for Cam Jordan to be having over there, they'll flip him because they flipped him uh, to right defensive end against the Rams last year. And he, he went and took Andrew Whitworth's um, lunchbox. So he's capable. Cam's capable of rushing. Whether you stick him at defensive tackle, left end, right end, it's just where you find the soft spot and you feel like you can take advantage of. If he can take advantage of Tunsil on the right side, then he'll move to the right side and he'll beat him up. You know, Cam, Cam likes to call those tackles speed bumps, and uh, and uh, so he'll get some opportunities over there. But Marcus Davenport, I think, will get the first crack at him, and we'll see. See what Marcus can do. I think Cam and Tunsil went against each other in 2017 when the Saints played the Dolphins. Was that the game that was in London? Uh, that was the London game. Um, I don't know if he went. I, I don't know if it was him directly, he, but I know yeah, Cam I can't did remember, have a sack in that game. Yeah, I can't remember. But, I mean, you know, again, Cam's left defensive end. He's left tackle, so he might not have seen him much, if if at all, that game. But, uh, yeah, the Saints beat the Dolphins up pretty pretty physically on that on that day in in London. So the Texans were just behind the Saints last year in rushing defense coming in at number 3 obviously behind the Saints at number 2. How has that changed since Clowney is gone? What what do you think is going to be the biggest factor for the Texans defense in the running game this year? Well, I mean a good run defense, you know, I'm not going to say Clowney didn't have an impact in there. You know, he's a, a a multifaceted defensive end. But you know, as long as your linebackers and your your defensive tackles are on point in that run game. That really kind of helps things out. The defensive ends can make some plays. A lot of times you want those guys to set the edge. You want them to be able to 
run run um play the run defense as well as pass defense, but I don't know how much it will affect them from that standpoint because Clowney wasn't known specifically as a great, great, great run defender at defensive end mm-hmm. anyway. So you hope uh, if you're the Saints that you can take advantage of some other things. But a good run defense, you expect them to be pretty good again this year. I don't think the absence of that one particular guy is going to just you know make them all of a sudden plummet out of the top ten in, in terms of run defense. And if you're the Saints, you got to execute. And a lot of times execution in the run game isn't so much averaging four and a half, five yards a carry. It's getting the attempts to make a defense stay honest, uh, running it 28, 32 times a game. Or sometimes your run game can consist of Alvin Kamara catching swing passes out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those are long handoffs. And a lot of times coaches don't like to admit that those screen passes and those swing passes are extensions of the run game, but they are because you're trying to get the ball into the into the hands of a guy who can make some plays and get him out in space rather than just jam him up in between the tackles or just beating your head against that brick wall. You can create some openings that way. For the Texans running offense, obviously we know that Lamar Miller tore his ACL in the preseason. They did bring in Carlos Hyde from the Chiefs. Um, but now they have or they've had De- uh, Hopkins on DeAndre Hopkins as a wide receiver and now they have Kenny Stills. Do you think the offensive line is good enough to protect Deshaun Watson in time to get those guys the ball? Do you think they're going to have to rely on the run game? I mean, what, there's not well, a lot Deshaun, of offensive De- options right Deshaun now. Deshaun Watson got beat off- up last year, and, uh, and DeAndre Hopkins still had one heck of a year. DeAndre right. Hopkins, if he ain't the top receiver in the league, then it, it doesn't take long to get to his name. He's that kind of player. And if the Saints are going to match up against him, and especially if they're going to do it one-on-one, and specifically Marshawn Lattimore – they got to be ready because DeAndre Hopkins usually is open when he ain't open, which means they'll just throw it to him and he'll just make a play. And when you look at any highlight reels of DeAndre Hopkins, you'll see him doing things that you don't see other receivers doing. I don't care what that other receiver's name is, whether it's you know OBJ or whoever, that guy's got some skills. He is something so – Best way to combat that, yeah, you get to Deshaun Watson, you knock him around. Uh, you hope that you can do so with your four-man line as opposed to having to send blitzes because then you put some pressure on that defense. But Marshawn Lattimore, uh, NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year a couple of years ago, who rounded into form the last, I'd say the last 11, 10 games of last year, he, lo- he started again to look like that guy and who came into training camp I think a lot more serious this mm-hmm. year. I agree. Uh, and he understands the challenge that is that's going up against DeAndre Hopkins. Now, is Hop still going to make some plays? Of course. Uh, he is phenomenal. And guys like that, if you catch him in enough one on one situations, you know, they're going to get you some. But you want to be able to balance it out. And you want to be able to get some PBUs. You want to be able to get some situations where you can mainly get Deshaun Watson off his landmarks and make him move around. And I know that sounds dangerous because he can run it and he can throw it on the run, but you can't let him just sit back there and have time. So you got to be able to get to him. And if it, if if you need pressure to get to him, you better get home. That's the main thing. Get home, bang him around, move him around, make him get a little bit jittery, make him see some things that he doesn't necessarily see uh, coverage-wise. So Hopefully the Saints will be able to do that. I don't know what Kenny still still has left. We've seen from time to time he's had some huge games for Miami. Mm-hmm. But DeAndre Hopkins, because of the coverage he can draw, might free up some opportunities for Kenny Stills 
and Kenny Stills might still be able to take advantage of those opportunities. On the Saints side, you did bring up Marshawn Lattimore and his coverage and him wanting to get back to the player he was his rookie season. Even he said at the in, in this preseason that he didn't perform as well as he had hoped uh, he would last season. But obviously we know his rookie season was stellar, defensive rookie of the year. Um, do you think that he is going to come out this game and feel like he needs something – he has something to prove? Yeah, he and he, and he should because – Again, when he gets matched up against a guy like Hopkins, if you're not on it, you can be embarrassed. Yep. Um, you can really look bad, and, and Hopkins can make you look bad if you are on it. So he knows he's got to be on on his toes from the beginning because right out of the gate, he's going to go up against – and, you know, he's had some good practice. He goes against Michael Thomas in practice pretty often. So he sees a really great receiver daily in Saints practice. But Hopkins is still a different animal even for Michael Thomas. So it'll be interesting to see Marshawn go up against him again. You can play extremely well and still get beat on some plays because that's the nature of the game and that's the greatness of DeAndre Hopkins. But Marshawn Lattimore is one of those few guys that you say, go get him, and you trust him to go get him. And you say, okay, he gave up a play here, he gave up a play here. But Marshawn's the type that, you know, he might give up a play and still strip the ball away from him. Or he might, you know, give up two plays and come up with a pick. He's a guy who kind of finds himself around the ball. The ball kind of finds him from time to time. You hope he will find the ball a couple of times Monday night. Yeah, well, um, you know, as I said, we haven't spoken since the Saints made their 53-man roster cuts, uh, and I wanted to know your opinion, so I'll ask the seat geek question. Do you feel confident in this roster? Do you feel like this – Okay, I, I already saw your eyes. You, you were like, yes, Caroline, of course. So I, I mean, you know what? I'll you change know, my question. We work Fine. for the team. What do you think we're going to say? Well, I mean, <laughs> I know. Course. I know you trust Sean Payton. I know you trust Mickey Loomis. Well, I mean, the reason you trust him is, you know, back-to-back NFC South Division title right. winning teams and 13-3 and last year and advanced to the NFC Championship game. So you say, okay, they know this better than I do because I, for all the world, thought that Chris Banjo was going to make this 53-man roster. I thought that uh, Darnell Sankey uh, and was going to be on the 53-man really? roster. I didn't think yeah, so. Yeah, I thought he was gonna, because of what he can do on special teams. Mm. You know, there are some guys that I thought would be on the roster who weren't. And so, you know, you look at those guys and say, okay, well, hey, they see them every day, so they know better than I do. Uh, and so, yeah, do I, th- do I think they picked the right 53, a good 53? Am I confident in them? Yeah, of course. Okay, fine. Easy enough. Well, I guess I'll just keep my stupid questions to myself then, JD. All right. Well, uh, last. You need to ask me something like, you know, what do I like? You know, do I like, you know, something at Starbucks or something? Then I'd have a choice. You don't like coffee, though. Exactly. See, I know you so well. I know you so well. (laughs) See, I know you so well. Uh, JD, you're way too early predictions for the Saints this year. What is your your, uh, schedule prediction? What do you think the final record is going to be when it's all said and done at the end of the regular season? Okay, I'm going to say – See, that was a better question. I'm going to say – I'm going to start off saying the end, which is I think they can get – I think they'll get to 12 wins. You know, 13 is really, really hard. I thought last year was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I think they can get to 12 again. And here's my – here is my – I don't want to say my, my long shot, but I, I think a lot of people say in the first four – how tough the first four games are. So yep. that's Houston – Rams, Seattle, Dallas. I think the Saints are going to go three and one out of that. Hmm. A lot of people say, you know, they'll take two and two. I think, I think they win the book in home games. Houston, I think they beat Dallas. 
because the Dallas win from last year, the Dallas loss from last year for the Saints, rather. Um, I don't know. Dallas felt like Dallas felt like and said it was the more physical team. Those kinds of things stick with you mentally uh, as, as a football team, as a grown man. You don't want to hear somebody else not only win the game but say, okay, we beat you up too. It was a 13-10 to 10 game, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, how much beating up was there? And yet, if you're the Saints, you're saying, you know what? Defensively, Dallas was one of the few teams that was able to shut Saints down last year. So, I'll move on from those two games. The two middle games where the Saints have the long road trip, first to L.A. and then to Seattle, I think they get one of them. Going to be really difficult. Uh, I know there's going to be some investment made in that Rams game, obviously, <laughs> because they're talk, you know, you're talking about the, the return, the defending NFC uh, championship team uh, and the way they want it on your, on your home field. So there's going to be, I don't care what anybody says, there's going to be some emotional investment there if you're the Saints. You wouldn't be human if there was not. So the thought being, from a lot of people, well, if the Saints don't win that one, then, they, you know, they might lose twice. They might lose at Seattle. But Seattle, even with Jadavian Clowney, is, to me, on paper, a beatable team. Even, and Russell Wilson is fantastic as a quarterback, just fantastic. But I think both of those are beatable teams, but I think the Saints get one of them. I think they get one of them. And I think they win the two home games. And, and even after that tough road trip, you come back home for a tough game against Dallas. But, again, I think the Saints, having heard the Cowboys chirp after that game, and, again, a lot of people, you know, they, they'll say they're all the right things. But as a grown man and a competitor, you don't want somebody to not only win but to talk stuff about it and to talk the kind of stuff like, we out physical them. We beat them. You know, those are the kinds of things that aggravate grown, prideful men. So folks like, you know, Teron Armstead and folks like Cam Jordan and folks like Demario oh, you said Davis. Grown and prideful. I thought you were talking about you. Well, that too. You know, <laughs> you can throw my name in there too. But they don't. You know, you don't. You don't forget those kinds of things. Right. You just. You don't forget them. You remember that at the appropriate time. Mm -hmm. Will they remember it? You know, three weeks before that. Oh, they won't be thinking about them, but you remember it at the appropriate time because there will be reminders. People will remind you, hey, when they won last year, they said so-and-so and so-and-so. So, yeah, you remember that. Speaking of Cowboys, what did you think about the uh, Ezekiel Elliott contract? I I think I would like to be a small increment of something <laughs> to somebody. As Jerry Jones said that, you know, Zeke not, was okay. – As he gave him, you know, $90 million and $50 million guaranteed. I'd, I'd like to be that kind of increment is what I'd like to be. Um, yeah, I, hey, smart move. He makes their offense go. Uh, that offense is built around the run game, and it's built around Ezekiel Elliott. So, you know, smart move by, by them. Can you imagine the type of coverage or the type of tension on you for someone to be following you home from the airport, for there to be camera crews at the airport for you, for them to be following you to the practice facility? Well, clearly, you have, you have not traveled with me because I get this all the time. Oh, I wanted to bring that up, actually, because there were several people at the LSU game that were like, oh, DeShazer, John DeShazer. And you should have seen JD's face. It just uh, lit up. He gets so excited. No, I did not like Anytime up. any of our not... listeners ever see John DeShazer, please look, just tackle him with a bear hug. He loves here. it so much. She is so such a liar. Like she's lying about the cold. Now she's lying about this. I'm not lying about but, the cold. But, you know, if there are people who might happen to kind of sort of know me, then, yeah, I'm going to speak to those people because it's good for this, you know, podcast and it's Whatever. wonderful you, for you our production. Whatever. You are so prideful. So, you You're know, so excited. So these are the things that, you know, you have to do. 
Yeah, just the burden of being you, huh? Whatever. Um, if you're trying to find tickets to football games or any other live event, it can be complicated, but there's hundreds of sites and shady pricing. With SeatGeek, you can do everything in one place. Search for and discover the best deals on seats, buy from any device, and sell and transfer tickets in just a couple taps. With their deal score technology, they rank the most valuable seats based on price, location, historical data, and more. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, our listeners will get $20 off off of their first purchase when they use the SeatGeek app. Use code GOSAINTS, that's GOSAINTS at checkout. SeatGeek, let's go. JD, thanks for joining me on today's show. We'll speak to Booger later this week. Hopefully you'll be with me on that uh, podcast and uh, look forward to getting into it. I don't know. My throat's feeling a little scratchy, so I don't know if I'll be able to make You're it in so later. You're so annoying. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to make it in later. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to roll up a hospital bed outside and I think I'll do it like Hugh Freeze. Let me, give me, do I have a visor around here anywhere? <laughs> You're the worst. That was the ultimate football guy move. I mean, doing the, coaching the game. Was that too much? Let's that talk was about way this. too was much. much? Who wears a hat in the bed? That okay, was way think, too I, much. I think that, you know, everyone's doing interviews with him and stuff. I think that was just a little yeah, bit too much for my taste. Dragging a hospital bed up to the press. Come on, stop it. Quit. <laughs> You're, you sound like such a get-off-my-lawn type of guy right now. All right, that'll do it for the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. Again, tune back in on Friday where we tune in or we speak to Booger McFarland from Monday Night Football. For Caroline Gonzalez, John DeShazer, thanks for listening. <laughs>